Hi, I'm Laura. Hey, I'm Stefan, and you're listening to Attributed, a podcast library by Dream Data. The purpose of it is to store and share all the knowledge that we have gathered across Dream Data employees through our LinkedIn Lives, podcasts, and webinars. The typical topics you'll find here can be stuff like marketing, sales, B2B ads, operations, social selling, maybe. For today's call, I'm really, really excited for this one because... We're talking with the specialist for attribution. When I think of attribution, I very often think of Drew. When I think of operations, I do the same. And the most exciting time of the year right now, Drew has started his own company as a founder and a CEO of Attributor. So Drew, welcome. Could you give us a quick intro to yourself and the new company that you started? Yeah, thank you, Laura. Um, so yeah, I, I started this company, Attributa, um, and the, the goal of the company is really, uh, and the vision is really to be the organization you go to if you are interested in B2B marketing attribution. The goal is to essentially help guide and shepherd people through their marketing attribution journey and through the maturity curve that you're going to go through and hopefully helping other organizations avoid all the problems that I've already encountered and the mistakes that I've already made in more than six years of working in attribution across multiple different attribution platforms with somewhere around, I think I'm upwards of 75, 80 different uh, clients and client instances of attribution. So um, hopefully I, I just, the goal is just to, to share my knowledge and my experience and help make sure that clients don't make all the same mistakes that I've made over that, that, that time that I've been making mistakes. This is so amazing. And the company itself to help people be successful with attribution and starting it with a question is like kind of, well, are you ready? <laughs> it's like, maybe you're not is the best way to do it, to help people out. And I'm very much looking forward to our chat and the checklist that people are going to leave together with. Everybody who is on the call, feel free to drop any questions that you have during the session for Drew. We will answer those on the call. And if there are very many, I hope so, then we're going to take them offline as well, if you're prepared that as well. So everybody, we're rolling. So Drew, the first question for you, we're going to go into the checklist further down the call, but when you think about attribution and you are some type of a company, what questions are you starting to ask yourself as a company that are tying towards that, oh, maybe you will be needing an attribution platform or maybe something else? So what are the key questions people start to think about? Yeah, great question. Um, so the what really triggers organizations to start going down this path and start, start this attribution journey is when organizations start asking questions around, you know, they want to understand how is marketing influencing pipeline? How is marketing influencing bookings or sales? How is marketing influencing lead generation? And then the way the conversation always starts going is, well, we have to move past just lead source. Mm -hmm. Lead source is great, but we have a lot of marketing activities and we have a lot of marketing investment that doesn't drive lead sources, right? They aren't lead source channels. And so the only way to really understand how those are influencing pipeline and bookings is by getting into multi-touch attribution. And so 
those are the types of questions that organizations are starting to ask that starts them going down this marketing attribution journey that they're all going to go on. You know, a lot of times it's, it's driven by having a CFO that starts asking those questions. A lot of times, at least in the U.S., like we're all talking about heading into a recession. And when you head into a recession, organizations start getting very concerned about where they're spending their money, right? Am I spending my money on the right things? Um, am I wasting money? Where am I wasting money? And those are the types of things that always generate this kind of momentum and this, this push towards yeah. marketing attribution. That, and then also you start, once you start down that path, you start asking questions about what your tools and your data are capable of. Yeah. And yeah. most organizations start seeing the limitations and the gaps in the tools and the data that they currently have, and they need to start filling those gaps. Those are some of the, the, the biggest um, kind of influencers, if you will, for why organizations start going down the, the marketing attribution journey. Mm -hmm. And are there any specific companies that are more prone to start asking those questions than others? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, if you're a transactional e-commerce company that has like a, you know, one or two click buying process, attribution is mm -hmm. really easy for you, right? Somebody yeah. sees an ad, they click the ad, they buy, boom, done, easy. The organizations that have the, the most, that, that need this the most are the organizations that have complex buying processes. Um, if you have, you know, a, a six month or, or year long buying cycle, or you have uh, organizations where you've got big buying committees of five, six, 10 people that are involved in a buying committee, and you need to stitch all of that together to understand mm -hmm. how that, that buying process worked. Um, those are the organizations that, that need attribution the most because it's, it's the most difficult to do in those scenarios. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned marketing a lot, that they're asking for marketing, marketing, well, how are we contributing and everything? How does the coexistence with marketing and sales get into this one as well? Because when we think about companies that are selling with big buying committees and big deal sizes, well, at least I'm thinking about a lot of sales meetings, sales, 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 sales. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's part of the natural progression that happens is usually the attribution conversation starts in the marketing organization. And then the marketing organization starts going down this journey and they start figuring out, hey, here's how marketing's influencing things. And then usually what ends up happening is marketing shares a report with sales mm. and sales says, well, this is really cool. Like we want in on this or how does, or they start asking the question like, Hey, why is sales not included in this? Or, or how can sales be included in this so that we can quantify our efforts as well. And then that's when marketing and sales start kind of coming together and it ends up not being a marketing attribution. It really turns into like a revenue attribution play that looks at, you know, all members of the revenue team, because you know, it's a lot of times it's not just marketing and sales because a lot of times you'll have like a, a sales development or business development organization. And then if you're looking at, you know, existing business, cross-sell, upsell, renewals, now you start looking at like a customer success organization, yeah. an account management organization, and all these other teams that are participating in the revenue process that need to get factored in. So Ultimately, it usually starts with marketing and then it spreads out into the other organizations 
that are part of that revenue process for both new business and existing business opportunities. This is so fantastic to hear because usually we would hear sales organizations standing up and sharing the results. So we've hit this goal, we've hit that revenue goal and so on. And here what we're talking about that actually marketing is doing the push towards sales to even look more granular into the data and be able to take that attribution picture even further into customer success, account management, and so on. That's, that's a very nice involvement uh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty typical how it works because for sales, sales really kind of has it easy when it comes to, you know, tracking revenue and pipeline, right? Like that's Salesforce or, or whatever CRM you have does that naturally. And so sales has it easy. Marketing is where you have the biggest challenge. And so marketing is one the one that usually starts that conversation. And then once marketing is kind of seeing results, then it spreads out to the other organizations. Yeah. And I see a big movement in this one because the enterprise companies I used to work for were not very data driven. The marketing team is the creative one. We trust them for everything is looking beautiful on brand and so on, all the blogs and so on and so forth. But, but they're there to support us in sales. And, and having that, it feels like a movement moving into a different way of selling. How do you see that? Uh, totally agree. Um, and, and I mean, I, I started my career in sales. So, you know, I've, I've been a quota carrying member of the sales team in my career. So I know what that's like. And I know kind of how, you know, the, the struggle with, because sometimes there's struggle and, and conflict between sales and marketing. You know, it's not always just hand-holding and kumbaya and we love each other, you know, every, everybody that's been in sales has had, you know, the leads that are sent by marketing, they're just absolute garbage. And everybody in sales has had a situation where it's been, you know, it's been three months and I haven't gotten a lead from marketing. What, what's going on with marketing? Yeah. So um, I think that there's this, this general movement towards wanting marketing and sales to collaborate more and wanting them to be on the same team and a lot of times the best way to do that is through data. Um, you know, I worked with, uh, I was working with a client. I love to share anecdotes and examples. So yeah, I'm going to go down a little bit of here, but I was working with a client before and in sales and marketing kind of didn't really, uh, you know, they didn't really get along well and sales was, wasn't hitting their numbers and they came back and they're like, yeah, well, marketing, all the leads we're getting from marketing are garbage. And this organization happened to have marketing attribution. And so we're like, all right, let's go look at the data. Let's see if it's true. And we looked at it and we're like, eh, I mean, marketing source leads are 40% of your pipeline and 50% of your revenue. So the leads that marketing sending aren't crap. I mean, you're actually getting good stuff. So, you know, maybe you guys should get along a little bit better and, and maybe collaborate and work together on things, right? Like, yeah. and I think the data... And, and when we sh finally shared that data with the sales team, they're like, oh, okay, well, we didn't realize that. But now that you, you're putting the data in front of us, like, okay, yeah, let's, let's work together. And that was kind of an aha moment for the yeah. sales team there that said, hey, like, okay, maybe we should start working with marketing and start collaborating with them and start respecting them a little bit more. Um, and so, like, there is this natural, I think we're seeing it more and more in the industry that, that marketing and sales are wanting to collaborate more and are wanting to 
you know, just get along a little bit better than I think sometimes they have in the past. You're doing such a big impact on the market for collaboration of marketing and sales for sure, because we see the silos, but those wouldn't be broken by themselves. What you're doing as well is kind of both the mediator of the two, but how do you see through the operations department playing into this? Are we underappreciating them as well? Well, I think operations uh, it has been criminally undervalued and underfunded no. in most organizations. And um, we're seeing it now heading into the recession with, with the layoffs that are coming. I see operations folks being some of the first folks that are getting, that are, that are getting laid off as part of the recession. And you know, the operations folks are the folks that are making sure that leads are flowing properly, making sure that, that you have the data you need to be able to do things like attribution. Um, they're the ones that are, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're also the ones that are, that are basically checking to make sure that everything works right. They're the ones that have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in the organization. And so the operations folks can certainly play a role in helping to kind of bridge that gap between marketing and sales and act as a, almost an unbiased third party that's like, Hey, look. I'm not marketing. I'm not sales. I'm operations. Like here's, here's, so I don't have any bias to one or the other. So let's all just work together and here's all the data yeah. and here's all the stuff that you need to kind of facilitate that. So I think operations can and should be playing a, a huge role there, but operations, I think a lot of times is just looked at as button pushers and, and super tactical folks. When in reality, if you're, if you're using your operations team correctly, they're a strategic resource and they can act as that kind of bridge between marketing and sales to help make sure that they're collaborating and working together well. So cool. And moving a little bit into the checklist that we all came here for, is operations a part of the checklist to be attribution ready at all? Or is it something that we can work out a little later down? I mean, I think operations plays a probably the, the most the biggest role in this checklist and in the, the readiness assessment for if you're ready for attribution, because so much of this is operationally focused. A lot mm. of it's data, a lot of it's data flow, a lot of it is, you know, um, like just how you execute certain things, mm. a lot of process and operation owns operations owns most of that. So they're, they're probably the most critical part of making sure that you're ready for attribution. Very cool. Let's start with the checklist from the right order of it. So can you tell us a little bit more about the readiness checklist? It is, is it an actual checklist that you've got with your clients? Yeah, it's an actual checklist. Um, it's a PDF with check boxes that you can check off to make sure that you, you know, you're doing things right. The reason I created this is two reasons. Number one is <clears throat> when I talk to, to, to organizations about marketing attribution, almost every organization I talk to has some level of concern about whether or not they're ready for attribution. I don't know if our data is ready. I don't know if our processes are ready. I don't know if we're ready. And then the other thing that comes into play is <clears throat> I also talk to a lot of organizations that have been on attribution for a while and it's not working. And it's because they weren't ready. They have stuff that's not compatible with attribution. And so we need to kind of unwind that stuff that's not ready and build up that foundational 
uh, process that you need and that foundational data so that the attribution platform they have in place already can work better. And so it works both as a pre-check mm-hmm. or if you're already on attribution and it's not, not working properly, you can also use the checklist as kind of a check and say, well, are we doing these things properly with our current attribution platform? So exciting. <clears throat> All right. So let's dig into it. What does it start with? Yeah. So I start with UTMs. UTMs are super important for attribution. And there's really some, for attribution, you don't need to get like super sophisticated with UTMs. The most single most important thing for attribution with UTMs is consistency. If you are consistent, then you can, then your attribution platform can work. Even if you break all the other rules with UTMs, if you are consistent in the way you break the rules, you'll probably be okay. So you need to check your UTMs and make sure that you're being consistent with UTMs and make sure that you're using UT. I mean, if you're not using UTMs at all, you're going to have a problem. So you've mm. got to use UTMs. You've got to be consistent with them. And you've got to have kind of a standardized process that, that makes it that, that you follow so that you can be consistent. Uh, so UTMs are, are, are first and foremost on the list because it's also one of the easiest things to do. And it's yeah. one of the easiest things to get right. All right. So we get the UTMs. Well, it's not an easy job. There's a lot in that. And we get a lot of questions about that as well. Oh, what if it's not very clean? Will your tracking catch it and so on? Yes, it will. But there will be a lot of sorting to be done after the fact, which is much more tough than do it properly before. So I definitely adhere what you're talking about. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So if you if you're if you're doing it right up front, if you take the the small little steps to do it right up front, it makes it so much easier and it prevents so much additional work on the back end to clean it up or to sort things or to you know filter reports. So so that ounce of prevention and making sure you're getting the UTMs right up front is worth that pound of cure on the back end and just makes the back end process so much easier. Absolutely. So we get our UTMs intact. What's next? Yeah, next up is uh, CRM campaign usage. Uh, UTMs work to categorize all of the online engagement, the stuff that's happening with your website. But as we all know, not all marketing engagement comes on the website. In a previous role, I managed over 100 trade shows a year. And if you can't track trade show. You can't track trade shows with UTMs. It doesn't work. So you've got to find another way to track those, and that's through CRM campaigns. And so CRM campaigns play a critical role in attribution because that's how you get the stuff that's happening off the website. So you've got to have a very, very standardized process for how you use CRM campaigns. So number one, you have to make sure you're using them. Number two, you have to make sure that you're using them consistently, uh, I am going to be very, uh, the word consistency is going to come up a lot in this checklist. You have to do things the same way every time. Uh, You have to use your campaign types correctly. You have to consistently, you have to use your campaign member statuses consistently. If you have 75 different campaign member statuses for one campaign type, guess what's going to be really difficult to do? Attribution. If you have seven, it's going to be a lot easier. Campaign types, campaign member statuses, 
making sure that you're being consistent, making sure that things are simple. I know I've said a lot of cliches already today, but I got another one that I'm going to use. Simplicity scales, complexity fails. So stay simple, simple. We want only the few campaign member statuses that are absolutely necessary. And then we want to use them the same way every single time. And then you want to make sure that, you know, in particularly in Salesforce, you've got that little responded checkbox that's part of your campaign member status thing. You should have a strategy for how you use that and when that is checked and when that is not checked. And if you have a strategy for that and you're consistent with it, you can use that as a tool to inform your attribution platform of a number of things. That, that little responded checkbox is important. With CRM campaigns, those are the big things that you've got to get done, right? You got to have your campaign types locked down, your campaign member statuses, your responded checkbox, and more. the most important thing of all of it is consistency. Again, if you're breaking all the rules, but you're do, breaking the rules consistently, you'll still be okay. You, you're, you're not going to be do, doing great with attribution, but no. you'll be able to get some value out of it. And especially if that's done in a simple way, not breaking stuff, but the campaigns are built in a simple way and you're able to figure out where you broke things, that will mm -hmm. be so much easier. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Very cool. We've got the UTMs. We've got the campaigns. Two huge jobs. It's like, are we done yet? What's next? Next up is a mirrored database. So what do I mean by a mirrored database? Uh, what I mean by that is that when a record enters your marketing attribute or your marketing automation platform, that they immediately sync over to your CR or to your CRM. Now, why is this important? Because if I want to track marketing engagement, but a record exists, can exist in one platform, but not the other, mm -hmm. then I have inconsistency in things like creation dates. I have inconsistency with CRM campaign membership dates. So if that person attends a trade show, but then they don't sync that campaign membership over to the CRM until three months after the person attended the, the, the trade show, the date of that marketing engagement in your attribution platform is going to be three months wrong. So a mirrored database makes sure that you have your dates right. Um, also, uh, when you don't mirror your databases, that is a recipe to create a massive duplicate record problem. Duplicate records cause massive problems for attribution platforms. Most attribution platforms have some ways of mitigating, mitigating the issues that come from duplicate records, but they can't eliminate those records or those, those issues completely. Mm -hmm. So what you end up with is when you end up with duplicates, you end up with a lot of manual work that you have to do to clean up the duplicate data problems. So and having databases that are not mirrored is one of the quickest and easiest ways to create a duplicate record problem. And, and the way it works is this. So you got your marketing automation platform and you've got you know, a record sitting in there that we met at a trade show, but they did, but we didn't sync that record over to CRM. Sales finds out that we met this person at the trade show. They go, you know, prospect them on LinkedIn. They manually create the record in Salesforce. And now you have a record that exists in marketing automation and a different record that exists in Salesforce. Salesforce syncs that person into marketing automation. Now you've got two records in marketing automation, one in Salesforce. How's attribution going to work when you've got this mess, this tangled mess of people? 
Um, right. So it just causes more problems than it solves. And especially if it goes throughout the customer journey, thinking of somebody's coming in through tracking, well, okay, we've got the UTMs, that's fine. We've got the timestamp and so on. But further down going, there are some messes in the in the campaigns. And yeah. if it's not mirrored, then it's kind of your customer journey length is going to be skewed as well. How yeah, would you measure exactly. that? Is that from the first touch? In which parts? I absolutely understand that. We've got yeah. a question from Derek in that sync actually right now. We could pick it up mm -hmm. right now. So it sounds like you're advocating for a one-to-one -one sync between CRM and marketing automation platform. Why sync over the records that haven't done anything yet? Yeah, I, so I am advocating for that, a one-to-one -one sync between CRM and, and marketing automation. And the question of why sync over marketing automation records that haven't done anything yet is simply for data cleanliness. It's a data cleanliness issue. Um, if you have records in your marketing automation that haven't done anything yet, first off, why are they in marketing automation if they haven't done anything yet? Number two, though, syncing them to CRM does not mean that we are assigning them to a sales rep or an SDR or a BDR to be worked. It means that we're just making sure that the data is consistent between the two platforms. So there's ways of making sure that when we sync that record over, that it's not visible to anybody in the sales development or business development team or the sales team so that we're not confusing them as to who they should be working. It's simply just to make sure that data in the two systems tells the exact same story. The same people are there. We have lead creation dates that are the same. We have you know, marketing engagement data that matches both systems. So it's to make sure that we have this consistent data story that's being told. And if you don't do a one-to-one -one sync, you don't have a consistent data story. No. You have people that exist in one system that don't exist in the other. And then again, when you have duplicate record problems that come in, it just compounds the data problems that, you, that are gonna happen. So I am advocating for a one-to-one -one sync between the two platforms and for data consistency, data cleanliness, but then also at the same time, making sure that you aren't you know, assigning somebody who hasn't done anything or hasn't done much to an SDR, BDR, or sales rep, because we don't want them working somebody that hasn't done anything. Um, and we don't want to confuse them. So there's, there's ways around that, but I am absolutely advocating for a one-to-one -one sync. And what is the next step in the checklist after doing the mirror? Yeah, absolutely. So the next one is uh, looking into your fields and objects in your CRM. Um, this one's a huge one. Um, first off, simplicity scales. So standard fields. As much as possible, we need to be using standard fields in CRM. Um, when you start using custom fields that are basically replacing standard fields, unless there's a really compelling use case, that can make it difficult for marketing attribution platforms. Now, most marketing attribution platforms can work with custom fields just fine, but it depends. Um, I was just working with a client that on their campaign object, they decided not to use the campaign type field, but instead created a custom field that basically did the same thing as campaign type. And so when we were implementing their marketing attribution platform, we had to reverse that. We had to actually migrate them back to using the standard campaign type field. It just made their implementation more difficult no. when they really weren't getting a lot of value out of using this custom field as opposed to the campaign type field. It just made it difficult. 
and also using standard objects as much as possible. I worked with a client years ago that wanted to do marketing attribution. And for some reason, they had a Salesforce consultant that had influenced them to use a custom object as opposed to the standard opportunity object. It was doing the same thing. It had the same functionality. There was nothing different other than there was a Salesforce consultant that you know wanted to ensure that they had repeat business. So they yeah. over-engineered things, made it very complicated for no reason at all. And I had to tell this client, you can't use attribution because you can't, or you're not gonna be able to orient an attribution tool to a custom object as opposed to the opportunity object. If you wanna use attribution, you have to reverse engineer that. You have to unwind that and move back to the standard opportunity object. Wow. That was, I mean, that would have been a year long project for them to completely unwind that and retrain their team just so that they could get on marketing attribution. Yeah. And the whole reason that they did this is because they had a Salesforce consultant that just wanted repeat business. So using standard fields as much as possible, using standard objects as much as possible, keep it simple. And if you do that, you will be ready for attribution. If you're using a ton of custom fields and custom objects as opposed to standard objects, you may be able to use attribution depending on what you're doing, yeah. but it's probably gonna be very difficult to get you implemented. You're gonna to have to do a bunch of custom work in the attribution platform and you may even be missing key features and functionality because you've got so much custom stuff going on. Yeah, so interesting. Talking about the technical depth, because while making stuff more complicated, you're doing it both more complex and more expensive for you in the future. Adding yeah. any other tool, integration, moving to attribution or not. Building it yourself for the most simplest attribution models as well it will not be possible. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. Is there anything else in the checklist that you think that is very important for us to mention as well? Yeah. So there's another item on the checklist that's like super tactical and isn't that important. So I'm going to skip that one in the, uh, in the interest of time, but there's one that, that is, it's the one at the very bottom and it's super important. And it's having somebody in place as a designated owner and admin of your marketing attribution platform. I, I work with a lot of clients that are on attribution and the attribution platform isn't working for them. It's not working well. And ultimately, almost every single time I work with those clients, what you see is you see that they didn't have a designated owner or admin. So they had a, they basically had a, a driverless car. And as we all know, driverless cars right now still don't work real well. So you gotta have you gotta have hands on the steering wheel and a foot on the pedal. You have to have somebody there to say when you're onboarding a new tactic, a new channel in your marketing mix. You have to have somebody that raises their hand that says, "Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! We have to have a strategy for how this is going to be tracked on our marketing attribution platform. We have to either develop the UTM strategy or the CRM campaign strategy or some other strategy to make sure it's trackable by the attribution platform. And if it's not," then we got to take a moment to get that done before we can launch this new channel because we can't launch a channel that we can't track. So we have to have somebody at the wheel with a foot on the pedal that sometimes have to hit, has to hit the brake pedal to make sure that, that we can keep the attribution platform in line, in alignment with how we're going to market. And if yeah. you don't have an owner and admin, 
that is responsible for that. After your implementation, once you get six months, a year, a year and a half, two years into your attribution platform, your attribution platform won't work. It will be completely disconnected from how you're actually going to market. Your UTMs might change over that time and your attribution platform does, isn't keeping up with that. Your CRM campaign statuses might be changing and campaign types might be changing during that period of time and your attribution platform isn't keeping up with that. So as you evolve as an organization, your attribution platform has to evolve with you, which means that you have to have somebody at the steering wheel with a foot on the pedals to make sure that the attribution platform is going on that same journey as your marketing organization. It's so important. And it's something that, you know, I, I do these projects all the time and I'm happy to do them because guess what? I get paid to do them. But if you don't want to pay me to keep your attribution platform up to date, then you've got to have somebody that owns it and administrates it and keeps it in line with how you're going to market. It's so exciting you say that because I'm in sales, selling an attribution platform, and I've got the foot on the pedal. Go, 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 go. And every time we hit customer success with some questions about the prospect, hows, and, and so on, one of the key things they're saying is, who's the owner? who is going to run with this, who's going to coordinate this, and where are we going to anchor this as well? Well, just as well as the organization wants to get attribution in place, it will not go faster and more of a better quality if there is no owner. The same goes for us, it's like, or at least for me. <laughs> like, the more you push wouldn't change if there is no owner for this, because this is very likely not going to be the most successful project they have been working on as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's and it's and it's really simple. I mean, most or in most organizations that that have attribution platforms in place, it's it's either the owner of the marketing automation platform owns the attribution platform, yeah. or not as often, but sometimes it's the owner of Salesforce or the CRM that owns the attribution platform. Right. Um, it's probably it's probably 80-20 in my experience that 80% are owned by the owner of the marketing automation platform and 20% are owned by whoever owns the CRM. But you don't have to make it complicated. Just It should be real simple. One of those two folks should own your attribution platform because they're the ones that own the platforms that are feeding the data into the attribution platform. So yeah. They should probably own it. It's it's not that difficult. It's um, I think a lot of organizations just don't they overcomplicate who should own it, and so nobody ends up owning it. I think it's amazing. How many more points are there on the checklist, Drew? What did we miss? Yeah. So the only other one that we missed is opportunity contact roles, and opportunity contact roles are not necessarily required to be uh -huh. successful with attribution, but they can make your attribution better. So with opportunity contact roles, the, the reason why these are on there is because um, there's really two kinds of use cases for when opportunity contact roles improve attribution. If you have accounts that have a lot of people on them, like enterprise level accounts, and you have like 60 contacts in your CRM tied to one account, but you know for any given opportunity, maybe five or 10 are actually aware of the existence of this opportunity, you should be using opportunity contact roles so that your attribution platform can you look at only the contacts that are associated by the opportunity contact role as opposed to everybody in the account. 
So if you're really good at OCRs, opportunity contact roles, then you can really laser focus your attribution models oh. to only the contacts that are actually associated. Now, the other place that this comes into play is if you have any type of sales motion where you have like a broker or a partner that is super influential in deals and you need to pull in contacts from other accounts into that attribution story, the only way to do that is through OCRs, is oh. through the opportunity contact roles. You can't do that within most attribution platforms. You can't add contacts from other accounts to an opportunity's attribution story unless they're attached via the, the opportunity contact. Mm -hmm. If they're attached via the opportunity contact role, then you have a chance. If they're not, you don't have a chance. They're, no. they're not going to factor into the attribution story for that opportunity. So OCRs function as a way to really laser focus your attribution models, but also if you need to expand out to contacts from other accounts, the only way to make that work is through the opportunity contact role. Understand. All right. So we have unpacked a lot of the attribution readiness list. And let's imagine a company did this. So they've got a lot of digital touches. They went through all the full checklist with or without Drew's help. And then it's a tricky one for you, Drew. Can they just build it themselves or do they have to go for an attribution platform? Good question. Uh, you probably can build it yourself, but there's a huge but there. The amount of time and energy and resources and therefore cost that you're going to spend to build it yourself is most likely going to be much larger than buying an attribution platform. Also, most organizations that decide to build their own, what they don't factor into their kind of decision-making process is not just how much it's going to cost to build, but they forget the maintenance part. They forget that, you know, over time you have to maintain the solution uh, that you're building. And that takes, again, time, energy, resources, money. And if you aren't maintaining, then you're, you know, a year down the road, your attribution solution that you custom built is going to be broken because something broke and you don't have the internal resources to prioritize fixing it. The other thing is that you're not going to have any kind of innovation cycles, whereas an attribution platform, they're constantly innovating because there's competition. There's a lot of them out there. And so they obviously compete and want to have the best product possible. So they're constantly innovating and adding new features and functionality. Your internal team is not going to do that because you, your business is not an attribution platform. Your business is something else. For most organizations, is it possible to build your own attribution like platform and methodology? Sure. Yeah. But at what cost and at what maintenance cost? Um, so when I first started my attribution journey, I worked for an agency and we had a custom attribution solution that we sold. And it was super expensive. It was like 60 grand. And once we, as that organization, that agency, once we found the attribution platforms out there and we found some that we liked and had that had good methodologies, we stopped offering our custom solution because wow. we knew it was a worse product that cost more. 
So for our clients, it was better to just direct them to an attribution platform. So we stopped offering it. I told clients all the time, like, you could pay me $60,000 to build you one. And a year later from now, it's going to suck. Uh, or you can just go buy a platform and we'll help you maintain it. And the total cost of ownership is going to be far lower. So exciting. I think it's a very valid point. A lot of valid points, Drew. <laughs> all right. We are about to end the session today. If anybody listening to us would like to ask the final question, we're very happy to take it up as well. And up till then, we're kind of done. Well, Drew, I wish you a lot of luck with your new company. You're doing great. You're walking you. the right path and looking forward to collaborating with you in the future as well. Thank Likewise, you so much yeah. for attending together with us today. Thank you so much. We hope you like listening to us. Subscribe to our podcast and the ones that we have been guests on. And if you have any feedback for us, uh, just do let us know. And should there be a guest that you think we should be talking to, then like pitch us. We're looking forward to seeing you.